listening to Treasuring Scripture, a podcast of the weekly teaching ministry of Lebanon Baptist Church, Roswell, Georgia. To learn more about our ministry, please visit us at LebanonBaptist.org. What a beautiful reminder. This is why we're here. Of course, we are all, every one of us, unfaithful. And uh, I trust you have enjoyed rejoicing in the person of Jesus Christ today. And, uh, and it doesn't stop at the end of our service. We're going to be celebrating Jesus all day long. Let me invite you to come back this evening. Uh, we have a special party outside. As Mark said, you'll want to bundle up. Uh, Lord willing, uh, you will be able to just fellowship with God's people. We'll celebrate with cookies. Uh, those of you who have not uh, uh, jumped into the cookie contest, you can even do it today. I think it was this time last, it was this time last year, I think I talked to my wife after the service and said, you're not making those particular cookies? We've got to do this. And so we, uh, we started making cookies in the middle of the afternoon. And uh, this morning as I was sitting here, I was reminded again about that because it was during that time of making cookies, I had a return phone call. Uh, I had called someone earlier that week and here Jen and I are in the kitchen and the phone call comes, and it was John Stewart. Many of you know John. John went, be, went to be with the Lord this past January. This was one of my last phone calls with John. I had returned his call. He had had COVID, and uh, he just was returning it and just saying how he was doing at that particular point. And uh, I, I remember that conversation with uh, great affection and great love, and I miss him, but it's because of Christ that we have hope, and I will see John again. John believed in Christ. He knew Christ, and because he came to earth, uh, you and I can live. And so today, as we celebrate, and, and of course, we have a whole season we get to do this, uh, we have Advent that just reminds us of Christ's coming. And I trust that today you will move past whatever is going on in your life and that you will find hope in the person of Jesus Christ as John Stewart did. And now he's with his Lord. This morning, uh, we are going to, to depart from our normal series. Uh, we've been uh, working our way through the letter to the Romans But today, I'd like to direct our attention to a Christmas text. It's a text that we return to many times uh, over the holidays. And today, I'd like to direct your attention to Matthew chapter 2. So let me invite you to turn there this morning. As you do, uh, we will uh, take a moment to read over this beautiful text of Scripture. Matthew chapter 2. I'll begin reading in verse number one and read through verse 18. It says this, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, 
and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, quote, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it arose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child and destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Quote, out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in that region who were two years old and under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, Weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children, she refused to be comforted because they are no more. Would you join me as I ask the Lord's blessing on this message? Father, I need your help today, and all of those in attendance today need your divine enablement to understand and ascertain what exactly this text means for us. And Lord, would you help me as I explain it, and would you help all of our listeners that we may behold wondrous things out of your word this morning. And Father, help us to be those like those wise men that live our lives worshiping that beautiful Christ child. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's just imagine that today you heard that President Biden was coming to Roswell. Or maybe, let's just say it was former President Donald Trump. If that was the case, and we had heard that they were coming to Roswell, if you went to the particular event that they were going to be at, no doubt you would have experienced, or you would experience, a mixed reception. What do I mean by that? Well, there would be some people that would be gung-ho for one of those presidents. They love them. However, you'd also have no doubt when they arrived, people who were radically opposed to them and would make their presence known. 
But you would also have people who were somewhat indifferent, like, oh, that's fine. I'm just going to continue on with my own life. I've got lots of to do. And you would experience, no doubt, if one of those leaders came, a mixed response. Today, as we look at the arrival of Jesus onto the scene of earth, we're going to look at that arrival, but also see the responses of the people to his coming. In verse 1, we are confronted with three of the main characters of the text. Listen to what it says again in verse 1 of chapter 2. He says, now after Jesus, okay, here's one character, was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, there's another one, the king, behold, wise men, and there's our third characters, you could say, from the east came to Jerusalem. This morning, what I'd like to do just simply is look at that first person, Jesus, see who he is, learn a little bit more about him, and then after we take a moment to look at Jesus, see three responses that show up in this particular text. Did you know that your response to Jesus, the way you respond to him, determines your future and determines your destination one day. What's your response to Jesus? Well, first of all, let's see Jesus Christ in this text. What do we learn about him in these few verses? Well, as you know, the writer of this gospel, Matthew, was one of Jesus's disciples. And he wrote this gospel many years ago under the inspiration of God in order to present to the Jewish people that Jesus was, number one, their rightful king. Not only that, he wanted to present to them that he was also their Messiah. But one step further, he wanted to present Jesus as none other than the Son of God. You see this all through the text. First of all, you see that he's king of the Jews in verse 2. Let me read that again to you. As the wise men show up, they're saying this, where is he who is born king of the Jews? So these wise men show up in town and they're looking for him. And notice, they come and they say, where is he who is born king of the Jews? Not who is the guy who's supposed to become the king of the Jews? Because oftentimes when someone is born or a prince is born, when is that person going to become king? No, they don't say that. Where is he who is born the king of the Jews? In fact, Jesus was none other than this nation's rightful king. But also our text shows that he was the Messiah. Look what it says in verse 4. It says, in assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he, Herod, inquired of them, where is the Christ? That word Christ The word Christos is the Messiah. That was a very key term for the nation of Israel. And at this particular time, there was lots of messianic expectations. When is Messiah going to show up on the scene? If they would have followed even the timeline of Daniel, those who were really heavy into Scripture, they would realize that something's about to happen. Something's going to come. Something's going to, uh, someone's going to arrive at some point at the temple. So they're looking for Messiah. And in this text, 
It's shouting to us that Jesus is not only the king, he's the Messiah. And it's interesting, Herod asked, okay, who this person is. If he would have asked those men, okay, or excuse me, he asked, uh, notice that Herod simply asked where Messiah was going to be born. He didn't ask who was Messiah. Because the very text that they point out to him says this about Messiah, whose days are of old from everlasting. Messiah was going to be someone who was an eternal person. That brings me to the third thing about Jesus. He is not only the king of the Jews, he's not only the Messiah, he is God. And how is that illustrated in our text? Well, the wise men come to do what with this king? They come to worship him. Who do you worship? You worship a God. This was no ordinary baby, no ordinary man, none other. He was none other than the sovereign of all the ages. In fact, we are reading in Matthew chapter 2. In Matthew chapter 1, it's unveiled to you that this baby was number one, born of a virgin. He was going to be begot by the Holy Spirit of God. And finally, his name was going to be called what? Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus was none other than God with us. That was his very name. Not only that, he was the fulfillment of all the Old Testament. If you read through those 18 verses again, what you'll realize is that in just this little section of Matthew, he shows us how Jesus Christ fulfills the Old Testament. The Old Testament said the exact place where Jesus was going or Messiah was going to be born. It said that at some point he would go and come from Egypt, and that's what happens in our text. It says that there would be weeping for children in Ramah. And what you find Matthew doing is he's basically saying this, all of your Old Testament, those of you who are Jews, all of them pointed to Jesus Christ. Those of you who are here today, if you want to know what your Bible is about, the Bible from cover to cover is all a revelation of Jesus Christ. All the Old Testament shouts to us the need and that he's coming and he's going to redeem. And all the New Testament is he has arrived. This is what he did. This is what he taught. And he's coming back. Everything is about Jesus. And that's what Matthew is doing here. But the final thing I want you to notice about Jesus in this text is this. You see that he is also human. He's God but he's human. And you see this played out in verses 8, 9, 11, and 13, where it calls him the child. Literally, the the text, the, the word here is young child. And it's a beautiful picture of a truth that we celebrate this time of year, which we call the incarnation. In flesh, the, the infinite God of the universe takes on frail humanity. Jesus Christ, the most extraordinary person. 
Matthew uses his entire gospel to prove that Jesus is all of these, the King, the Messiah, the Son of God. And I'll tell you, as you and I approach 2023, it's hard to believe. If there is anything you can do, if God allows us to enter 2023, it's this. You need to grow in your knowledge of Jesus Christ. Get to know what he's like. If you're here today and you're visiting with our church family, let me say one of the best things you could ever do when it comes to investigating Jesus is to look at the ancient documents that I believe are none other than the word of God. And we would love to give you a copy of it. In fact, I think at, the, uh, at this door in the center, as you exit, there's a table there. It has copies of the gospel of John. And take one of those as a gift from our church and just start reading it and, and begin to pray, God, if you are real, and if Jesus is actually the God of the universe, as I read over the gospel of John, I'm asking that you would reveal yourself to me through these words. And let me tell you, wait and see what God can do. So in our text, we see Jesus Christ. We see him played out. I hope that you see who he is, and I hope you'll continue to grow in your understanding of him. But now we see various responses to him. What's the first response? Well, the first response is the good response. And we see this in worship by the wise men. Notice these men are called magi or wise men. And they show up in Jerusalem. Can you imagine that scene? I mean, I read over this and because of my 20th century mind, my mind goes to, you know, when Aladdin shows up in town and he's on the elephant's. And he's jumping around and all of a sudden visions of Disney come up. Probably not like that, okay? But it had to be unusual that these men show up in town and it's just incredibly uh, interesting what's happening here. Imagine the stir in town. Where were they from? Some have suggested that they were from Babylon or maybe even the farther east. Tertullian, an early church father, He believed that those wise men were actually kings because the Old Testament said that kings would come and worship the Son of God. It was around 600 AD, now a long time later, people began to give them names, okay? Melchon, Belfazar, Gaspar. Now, we don't have that written in the scriptures. It's just years later the church began to give them names, Those of you who have read the famous fictional book, Ben-Hur, in fact, it was years ago, I asked one of my professors when I was leaving for for, uh, winter break, I said, hey, what's a good book to read over the the Christmas holidays? And he says, read Ben-Hur. And I was like, what? Ben-Hur? And in fact, Ben-Hur opens, Lou Wallace's famous book opens with the wise men and them coming from all different parts of the East and meeting up. We don't know all of these things. In fact, we don't even know the number of how many wise men there were. We often say, I mean, most of our uh, nativity sets have three in there, unless the dog chewed one of them or something like that, and uh, the kids lost one. And 
We think there's three. I mean, we think it because of the three gifts, but we're not sure about that. But one thing is certain. We believe that they were Gentiles. They were non-Jews. And it isn't it interesting, you ever caught this? In Matthew, which is a Jewish gospel, it was written to the Jews. It opens with Gentiles coming to worship, and it closes with God telling his disciples to take the gospel to the nations. And if you're here today, whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Gentile, a non-Jew, did you know that Jesus is for everybody? He came and was born through the nation of Israel, but he was there to be a blessing to all the earth. No matter who you are, Jesus Christ can save you. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You have hope in Christ. So what do these wise men do? Well, they ask for where the king was to be born, and they state that a star had led them there. Now, there's a lot of speculation about what this star was. Kepler, a 17th century scientist, he suggested two ideas. One of his suggestions was the conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn into one famous constellation in 7 BC. Now, all of a sudden, all of you are remembering, was it last year or the year before? It was one of these last two years. That actually happened again. And they called it the Christmas star, where, but they never actually fused together. They were always really close, okay? And uh, uh, I don't think that was the case. Okay, I'll just tell you that, Okay. That, that was beautiful, and it was nice to see last year or whenever it was. Kepler also said maybe it was a supernova where a faint star violently explodes and gives enormous light for a number of weeks and months. Some people suggested it was Halley's Comet. I'll just tell you this. It's a non-essential point of debate. We don't know. I personally believe that it was some sort of supernatural occurrence that God allowed to happen at this particular instance to the point that it came and stood over a place and they could be directed to that location. Possibly these wise men were told in a dream. Maybe they were students of the Old Testament. We know that they traveled from the east and their initial stop was there in Jerusalem. Because no doubt, if the star was in this area, he would have been born in the place where a king was supposed to be born, in Jerusalem. However, Bethlehem is about five miles outside of Jerusalem. And so they're directed to that particular spot. And notice their diligence because they desired to do what when they got there? They desired to worship him. I'll tell you, it's not normal to worship, at least nowadays, an earthly king. And for them to come to worship, they believe that Jesus Christ was something extraordinary. They were conscious, no doubt, of the identity of this child. Why else would they travel thousands of miles? When they saw that star again, it says in verse 10, it says this, And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I love that. Rejoiced exceedingly 
with great joy. There's four Greek words there, just like I just gave you four words. It's almost like they're using four superlatives. You know, when you were kids, you could say something was good or better, and then you'd have something that was the best. But then if like you needed to like trump even that, you would say like I did, the best est, est, est. And I, I think it's almost laying out, they rejoiced with the best est, est, est rejoicing. And I'll tell you this, when you actually find Christ and you understand where he is, there is no greater joy that you will ever find. You will never find true lasting joy in anything on this planet other than the person of Jesus Christ. The Bible says it is, it is with great joy that you and I can draw out of the wells of salvation. And you find that in the person of Jesus Christ. I often tell, if you're a teenager here, I know for me, when I was a teenager, I tried to find joy and happiness in all these other spots. And when I finally realized that the, the center place of joy is only found in a relationship with Jesus Christ, my whole life changed. And I hope that you will find that. Because what do these men do? When they find that child, they worship and they presented their gifts. And that's a natural response. When you, when you actually come to know who this person is, you just want to give them something. And, and these gifts, some people have suggested they were symbolic. Frankincense was a glittering gum from the bark of a tree. It was often used in incense, and incense was used in temples and spoke of deity. So maybe it was just suggesting his deity. Myrrh was from a tree in Arabia, and it was valued highly for its spice and for its perfume, but it was often used in what? Embalming. And some people have suggested that, you know what, it's just a little precursor and a picture of what was going to happen to this baby. And then a gold, of course, was his majesty. It was for a king. Some people have suggested that these gifts were actually what they used to sell to finance their fleeing into Egypt. Because as you know, what will happen is they have to flee to Egypt and they're going to need to live there for a time. And maybe those gifts were actually God's providential way to take care of them during that sojourn in Egypt. But these wise men illustrate to us the proper response to Jesus Christ, and that's this, extravagant worship, where you and I begin to devote our time, our resources, and our attention to the person of Jesus. It would be years later that Jesus would talk to a woman at a well, and he would tell her, you know what God is seeking right now? He's seeking, me, seeking worshipers who will worship me in spirit and in truth. And you know what Jesus is looking for even this morning? He's looking for people who will worship him. And they will devote their time, their attention, and their resources all to him. Is that your response? Do you worship Jesus? Is this why you come each Sunday? Is this what you live for? 
For in him we live and move and have our being. This is what life's about. Life is walking and learning to grow in Christ. And these wise men illustrate that. There's a second response. What is it? It's indifference. And that's illustrated in some ways by those religious leaders. It's kind of subtle in the text, but it's a valid observation, I believe. Because when Herod, of course, hears of this king being born, he goes to the religious leaders and he asks these religious leaders, okay, where is Messiah, the one that we've been hearing about in all these prophecies, where is he going to be born? And the leaders, in fact, identify Bethlehem. But isn't it interesting that from that point forward, they go silent in the rest of the text. Wouldn't you have thought that these chief priests and scribes would have like done something when they got the information? However, apparently, there's no further interest. Those who should have been the most interested are not. Why? Maybe it was this. They were focused on their own lives, that they missed the very purpose of their existence. I have often found that those who are most familiar with spiritual things are those who've grown the most callous to them. They become, their hearts get choked up with the lust of the eyes. What can I get? The lust of the flesh, the pride of life. This time of year, you see it so easily because have you ever thought of the theology that's just in the carols that we sing? Think through the carols that this world is singing all around us during this time. Even at company Christmas parties, maybe, even they're singing some of these songs. And here are people sometimes who have no idea of the actual words that they're saying. God incarnate. So many people are blinded to their own sin and their answer. What they needed to do as what all of us have to do. We have to repent of our sin and believe and trust in that humble child that we know ultimately would live a flawless life, would die a cruel death, and he would do it to be your and my substitute. And if we will, you could say, turn from our own sin and trust in his sacrifice, we can have all of our sins forgiven. And that's illustrated by this. If you have truly done that, it's you become a follower of Jesus. It becomes not only something you do on Sunday, it becomes what you do Every day of your life, you follow Jesus. That's what should happen. But here is a group of people that were just indifferent. Are you indifferent to Christ? If that's the case, okay, we're going to talk about right at the end what indifference will ultimately lead to. But I would investigate your own spiritual state Have you really come to and believe in who he actually is? I pray that God would open your eyes to that. And the final response that I'll give to you in our text is hostility. And of course, who's that illustrated by? None other than Herod. Herod, who was this man? He refers to a man by the name of Herod the Great. Just so you're aware, there was a lot of Herods, okay? 
Herod was kind of the, the main guy, okay? Herod the Great was born in 73 BC. So he would have been in his 70s at the time that Jesus was born. He was named the king in 40 BC by Rome. He was a wealthy man, he was politically gifted. He was incredibly loyal to Rome. He was an excellent administrator. And I'll tell you this, he was a master builder because you can visit Israel today and you can still see a lot of what he built 2,000 years after. In fact, many of you who've watched on the news, the Western Wall that many of the Jews pray at, that wall was built by King Herod. Masada. One of the famous sites in Israel independence, built by Herod. Caesarea Maritime, this beautiful, the Herodium. This guy was an incredible builder. But he was a non-Jew, and he was heading up the Jews. But we also learn he was an incredibly fearful man. The story that's that we're reading today illustrates the fact he was known to have killed his wife and his sons near the end of his life. And what was his response to when he heard that this child was born? He was troubled. Why? Because he had a fear of being what? Replaced. He was not the rightful king. And his troubling, I believe, is why all Jerusalem was troubled too. Because if King Herod was not in a good mood, Jerusalem was going to have some problems. He had a history. So he finds out the birthplace of Jesus, and he, of course, requests. Now, when did that star appear? And, of course, he's doing his little math here. And, of course, he tells them, I want to go worship them. Of course, he's deceiving them. But notice the response, verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all the region who were two years old and under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Did you notice that? He was extremely, and and uses the word, exceedingly angry. Did Did you catch the contrast here? There were, there were wise men who were exceedingly what? Joyful. And there was a Herod who was exceedingly furious. They experienced really what Jesus, who he actually was. Of course, we know that Joseph... Jesus' earthly father is warned in a dream and leaves at night for Egypt and he fulfills what the scripture said would happen. At some point, the Christ child would be called out of Egypt. Herod tries to kill the Messiah and he commands all the boys to and down to be killed. And no doubt he's basically, Herod is a tool in Satan's hand. But Herod illustrates the response of those who are troubled by Jesus. Why are so many people troubled at the person of Jesus Christ? And I submit to you it's this. Because if you realize who Jesus is, and you realize that if he actually is, starts to recognize him for who he actually is, he is the one who deserves what? 
preeminence. You no longer become an authority in your life. Jesus becomes your authority. It means this, that you no longer can continue on as norm, running your own life and running it in your own way. And you know what that does? That runs opposite to all of our flesh. Because we like to run our lives the way we want to run it. It means this, no longer the status quo. But I submit to you that these people are so deceived because they think this. There are so many people in this world and maybe even in this room, I don't know how you could believe this, but that the status quo of your own life is better than Jesus. Because when you really make Jesus your king and submit to him, him at the center is so much better than your life at the center. Because your life at the center, you're using your life in the whole way it was never designed to be. Your life was made to live on the fuel of Jesus Christ in the center of your life. There was a man by the name of Moses. God slowly revealed himself to Moses and Moses had to make a decision. Do I live for the treasures of Egypt? And what does the text say in Hebrews? He chose rather to suffer affliction with God's people than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a what? For a season. There's nothing greater Egypt has its great treasures, but I've seen many of them, and they're not worth living for. But I'll tell you this, Jesus Christ, he will change your life. I used to think that the moment I submitted my life to Jesus, and I like started to live for him, that he was going to just mess it all up. Okay, the moment I just gave it all over to him, it's like, oh, my life's going to become miserable. I mean, I remember one person said, if God really wanted to destroy and mess up your life? Would he wait till you submitted yourself to Jesus and say, yes, now I can do it? Okay, he wouldn't do that. The greatest thing in life is when you submit to him and you find out what your whole purpose is. Herod wasn't willing to relinquish control of his life and he wasn't willing to repent. So this morning, three responses to Jesus. One, indifference. Another hostility and another worship. My invitation to all of you is this. Come, let us what? Adore him. Let us worship him. Those first two, indifference and hostility, if you're in either of those camps, the answer to your life is this. You need to repent of the way you're going. And you need to believe in Jesus Christ and submit your life to him. Because what will happen is this. If you would say, Pastor Brian, I'm the indifferent one. What happens to the indifferent ones? They're indifferent in Matthew chapter 1. But when you get to Matthew chapter 26 and 27, are those chief priests and scribes indifferent anymore? No, they become hostile to Jesus. And I'll tell you this, all the indifferent one day become hostile. So you can either worship him or not.
live for him or not. And as that famous phrase that I remember being shared as a kid, wise men still seek him. And if you ever want to become wise in this, in, in, in this universe in the right way, the answer is this. The answer is come to worship Jesus Christ. Find him. Find in him everlasting joy. Worship your life. That's what Christmas is all about. And that's what life is all about. For in him we live and move and have our being. So Lebanon Baptist Church, and if you're not a member of our church you're visiting here today, come, let us adore him. Join me. And spend the rest of this holiday season finding joy in Christ. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Treasuring Scripture. It's our desire that every Christian treasure God's Word in their heart. To follow our podcast, please hit the subscribe button. If you're interested in learning more about our church, please visit LebanonBaptist.org.